Um, I do believe I have a word from the Lord for you tonight. And I don't know, and I can say this pretty confidently, that you've ever heard that, this before. Um, I can't say that I've ever fully understood some of the things I'm going to teach you tonight and preach to you tonight. But um, I do feel like the Lord spoke this to me, and I'm, I am looking forward to, to preaching it. So if you'll stay with me, I really believe that, you, that the Lord will give you and me an understanding of some things that I've never had before. Um, if you'll turn in your scriptures, and then we'll go to the PowerPoint. And, you know, I do 30 pages of PowerPoints, and I get to page two, but we'll go to that. If you'll turn in scriptures to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15. And um, this is a, the, one of the most poetic, and I don't want to call the Lord a poet, but one of the most well-written scriptures in, in the Bible, and um, one of the most powerful. And I believe there's some understanding the Lord gave to me this past week. Ephesians 3.15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, the name of Jesus Christ, that he would grant you according to, all right, according, got me all messed up, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, now listen closely to this, may be able to comprehend with all saints, with everybody at Antioch, what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. That is four dimensions, which we do not live in. We live in a three-dimensional world. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. You may be seated in Jesus' name. One of the most, um, and you can go to my first slide. One of, one of my most, uh, one of the most curious things to me is how in the world did the Jews miss the Messiah? 2,000 years ago. And, um, and the, the Bible alludes to it many times how they could have done that. So as I was pondering that thought, if I could sort of give you what I believe the understanding of or what I thought the Lord spoke to me on. When the, uh, when the Messiah came, he did not come as they would have hoped for or expected. Um, and, and if you look at the Old Testament, there are two peaks by which they could see the, the coming, uh, the entry, the advent of the Lord. The first one being him coming 2,000 years ago as a suffering servant. And then the second advent, which is going to take place, being him coming as a reigning monarch. And in the Bible, there is only one man that fits that typology and that description of the Messiah. And that is Joseph, the man that went through went through the promise, and then to the pit, and then to Potiphar's house, and then to the prison, and finally to the palace. There are many typologies, Brother Jared, of, of Jesus Christ. But the only one where you see him as both a lowly servant and a high monarch is Joseph. That he fulfilled both offices. And, and so, at least in my thought process, when, when the Messiah came... 
They were looking for the reigning monarch. They understood well what the scriptures said, that there would be a king, the king of the Jews that would come. They just didn't know the timing of that. And they did not foresee the church age. They did not foresee the 2,000 years by which the Messiah would come um, and, and, and it would come to the church of the living God. The age, as we would call today, the age of the bride of Christ, which we are. Joseph was a type of Christ. Joseph was sold into slavery for pieces of silver, as Christ was. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, as Christ was. Joseph was falsely imprisoned, like his brothers. Joseph married a Gentile, an Egyptian woman, not a Jewish woman. And, and I won't get into the, all of the theology of this, but the bride of Christ, and I'm certainly not saying this, the bride of Christ is the church, the, the Gentile, even though there are many Jews that are a part of that church. So what I'm saying is, is Joseph f- fulfilled in typology both offices that Jesus Christ holds. Now, you've got to remember this. In the Word of God, in Philippians 2, 7 through 9, and you don't have to turn there because I'm going to be going through scriptures fast, he goes from both from the, the humbling himself as a servant to his name being exalted. A servant made of no reputation, born in a barn, born without much money into the family of Mary and Joseph, and he was not born of great esteem. And yet, in, this, in the next verse, in Philippians 2.9, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. What are you, God? One of the things that, that, that I, have, uh, I have been challenged with many times is, is our doctrine. And they're like, you know what, Mike? This is my Trinitarian friends, close friends in this community. You believe in a schizophrenic God. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you're saying... That Jesus the Son talked to the Father, and so they're saying, and they're talking to themselves, and they're, he's schizophrenic. You know, if I'm talking to myself, that's not a good thing. I was, I was, I was downstairs when Sister Bailey heard my mic. She's like, "Brother, you be careful. Don't say anything. It's a good thing I don't cuss anymore." She said, "Just be careful." I'm like, okay, okay. But, but what I'm saying is, so we see the high and the low, and, and. Going back to, to my thought, my, my response to that person was, no, I believe Jesus Christ was suicidal. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And it's like, well, who is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? Revelations, Hebrews, it is Jesus Christ, right? And so we'll go to that. We'll go to that. And then I'll say, who is the high priest according to Hebrews 9? Jesus Christ. Well, what is he? The high priest or is he the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? Which one is he? Well, he happens to be both. And it happens to be the high priest was the one that slew the lamb. So that means he killed himself. And, and anyways, what I'm saying is, in Jesus Christ, there, there is the high and the low. And in all of the world religions, all of the major religions, you don't find any other religion other than Christianity where God takes both positions. And the first one he took was the lowest position. He said he, he lowered himself in the form of a servant. And you don't find any of the other religions in this world. They all take the top spot. They all take that, that place, but they don't lower themselves. So what I'm here to speak to you tonight are, are the, the four revelations 
of Jesus Christ. There are four things that you have to understand about God. He is, and you've all heard this many times, he is fully man, he is fully God, right? Everybody knows that. And he is the reigning king, and he also is the lowly servant, the suffering servant. Now, I'll just say this to you. When I was younger, I mean, I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. And in my house, in my home, my heroes were, and today, were those men that were Medal of Honor winners. There's just something about that, that, that they would willingly give their life for their comrades that I have the highest esteem for. So I'm just, just saying this. In my younger years, the idea of a man being stripped naked and, and a crown of thorns put on his head and, and all of that, which he really did do, he was the suffering servant. He died the most horrible death. Th- that was just not, just did not ever gel well with me. And so what I'm saying is the Jews were looking for that reigning monarch. They were looking for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and they missed, they totally missed the suffering servant. He comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. They didn't see that. And 2,000 years ago, the Jews missed the coming of the Messiah because their image of what the Messiah should have been should have been the one that conquered Roman rule. And the Romans, as you know, were very pagan we're very much into perverted practices. I, won't, I would not venture over this pulpit to go through all of them, just because that would be X-rated. But I will say this. Um, they were farly, farly deviated from what the Bible says is acceptable in the eyes of God. So you can fully understand why the Pharisees and why the Jews believed that the Messiah would deliver them from this wicked and cruel bondage of the Roman Empire, and he didn't do that. He came as a suffering servant, and they missed it. And I'm saying to you today, 2,000 years later, that there is another side of Jesus Christ that we miss. Now, I'm going to say this, and I really hope this is not offensive to anybody. But I've been asked this question many times. In our building, you don't see any crosses. I'm just saying that. Okay? And and um, I, I've been asked, why are there no crosses? And I'm not against the cross, obviously. I, I, one of my favorite songs is the old rugged cross. And I cling to that cross, and I believe in that cross. But if I could say it this way, there, there are two parts of Christ. There is the cross, and there is the crown. There is the suffering servant, but there is the reigning monarch. And let me say this to you tonight. The number one, and I use this word carefully, and I don't mean it disrespectfully, criticism of Bishop Wright to our leadership and to the church at times, and if you were in a leadership meeting, you know this, is, is you are a reigning monarch. You are a son of God. Stop acting like a servant. I mean, I, mean, you hear, I hear that a lot. And, and, uh, I mean, and what I'm saying to, to you is we get the suffering servant part really, really well. We do get that. We, 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 I mean, you know, we preach that. We, and I'm not invalidating that whatsoever because it's the blood of Jesus Christ. And he, and somebody had to be the lamb. But somebody has to be the high priest. And what I'm saying to you tonight, that in this last day and age, that, that there is a time when the Bible says that Jesus Christ will be manifested as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet most churches 
focus simply on the cross. And they don't focus on that part of Jesus Christ. That we are called to be overcomers. That we are called to be more than conquerors. That the Bible says, let the weak say I'm strong. The Bible says to, 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 to Gideon, mighty men of valor. I'm sorry, I, I, see, I know you guys don't like the mic, so I'm using this. And I know I vary very greatly, and it's not great for live stream. But, but what I'm saying is, so there are two elements of Christ that we miss. Now, I'm going to go into this tonight, and I, I know I will not even plumb the depths of it. So if you want my notes, you can just email me. All right, in the Gospels, 65,000 verses, words, words, I checked this today. Words refer to what I'm about to teach. And what I'm about to show you, and you can go to the next, oh, you know what, I can do that. Okay, this, this is not, this is, I won't go into this right now in depth, this would take me an hour. But, but this is, you can see in prophecy what the, the prophets saw and what they did not see. They did not see the valley, the church age. They did not see that. They did not understand that. They did not know that. So you understand how they could have missed the Messiah, the Jews. And I'm saying today, is it not possible that we are missing an element of what God is trying to bring forth? The Bible says, the Bible says, with boldness, enter into the throne of grace that you might find Mercy and grace to help in time of need. And most of our church services are mercy-based. And I'm nothing, there's nothing wrong with mercy, but that's only part of it. The first half, Brother Whittington, was simply the Red Sea. They were delivered out of bondage. But there was a part that said, there is a promised land, that it's going to happen. And it happened 40 years later. So the mercies of God, not getting, not going to hell for our sins. Is the mercies of God. Going to heaven without deserving it is the grace of God. The throne of grace. So there is the mercy. The, mer- the mercy seat is considered the footstool of God. And it is literally is considered in, I'm going to say this right, I hope it's right, Brother Trombley. In rabbinical thinking, it is considered the footstool of God and then the throne of grace. So if I could, if I could picture this for you, mercy is at the bottom and the throne of grace. The Bible says, heaven is my throne, earth. Is my footstool. And mercy is a very earthly human concept that we understand. We understand. I shouldn't say this, but I was was watching a deal where this young man was begging for his life. And as you know, ISIS and some of the other Palestinian terrorists execute, behead their captives. And... Just a horrible sight, horrible thing to, to, to see. And they, they like to post this kind of thing. Begging for his life. So we understand mercy. Okay, I'll spare you. I'll, but grace, something for nothing, something you did not earn, you will never earn, no, how much, no matter how much you do good, how much you give, that is a, a difficult and foreign concept. Mercy is not. And what I'm saying is there are two elements to Christ. There is the suffering servant, but there is the, the reigning monarch. And there's a lot there, and I'm not going to go through all that right now. But I am going to say this to you. Uh, look at the pattern of that. And one of the things I really most enjoy, and many of you are in my class, and we are going to start that back up. But if you look at the pattern of the camp of Israel, if you do it numeric, numeric, 
and you space it out correctly, I can't even pronounce that right, it actually forms the pattern of a cross. And what I'm going to show you, or hope to show you tonight, is there are four aspects of this camp. There, are, there is the east side, the west side. And everything in the tabernacle was in the east-west orientation. The Bible says, as far as east is from west, I will separate your sins. In other words, eternally. There is, there is, there is no east pole that I know of. But is there an east pole? There is no west pole. There is a north pole and there's a south pole. And if you check it, there, it's exactly 12,650 miles between north and south. There is a definite number, but east and west... There's nothing. And so, in understanding that, the Bible says, your sins are forever forgotten, as far as east is from west. But if you look at the, the four faces on the camp of Israel, on the eastern side of that, it is the lion. On the northern side, it is the eagle. On the southern side, it is the, um, the camp of Reuben. It is the face of a man. And the last portion, the western side, is the uh, see the ox? Now, that's that's a very weird thing to me, and I haven't heard preaching a whole lot. I've been in Pentecost for thirty years, so I think of the Wizard of Oz: lions and tigers and bears, bears, uh, you know what? Not the bears, ox, an ox, a lion, the face of a man, and an eagle. What does that have to do with anything? I mean, okay. So it means something in the book of Revelations. But if I could share this with you tonight, it is not just in the book of Revelations. It is. This layout and these camps were the symbols on the camp of Israel. And if you notice, side note here, at the very center of the camp was the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory of God. So the very center of our lives should be the church, the presence of God, the glory of God. I, I, I used to be embarrassed when I, in, when I was in the military, the Marine Corps, they come in Monday, and everybody would ask, well, what did you do this weekend? And, um, oh, well, yeah, I went sailing out in, the, out in Emerald Island, and I did this. And they're like, well, what did you do, Mike? And I'm like, well, I went to church Friday night. And I'm like, well, what did you do Saturday? Well, I went to prayer meeting Saturday. What did you do Sunday? Well, I went to church twice Sunday. And they're like, oh, okay. And uh, it was true. I, it really is how we lived and how we do live as a church. It's like everything's a church. And, um, but if you see the, the, the picture here, the center, and just, this is really a, not my message tonight, but the, the camp, the way the tents faced was inward towards God. And, and all of the camps of Israel, all of the normal camps, when I was in the Marine Corps, when we would camp, when we would, they call it bivouac, we would always have our, have our tents outward facing, especially in a, in a, in a posture, so that, that if the enemy were to attack, we could easily see that. But this was totally opposite. This was not even looking defensively at what may attack, but looking to God for our strength. And do you follow that? That's, that's what we're supposed to keep our eye on. Not the enemy, not the difficulties, not the things that come against us. But when we keep our eye on God and we look inward then that's the, that's the way it is supposed to be. So I love teaching on this topic because there are so many patterns that are illustrations for our life. And so we talk about the, the four different faces of God. So I will not read because I, I would literally spend 
two hours doing this, and I, I won't get you out of 1015 tonight. But when you look at the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and, and uh, there are 65,000 verses that talk about the lion, the ox, the man, the man, the face of the man, and the eagle. So in the four Gospels, the very first opening Gospel, what is it, Jonathan? Matthew? Right. And Matthew is, represents what of those four faces? What would you think? Give me a guess. The lion. The lion, right, the lion. The lion. And the reason why, because the book of Matthew was written to the Jewish people, and, and Jesus Christ was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in the book of Matthew, unlike all the other four Gospels, the reference to King David is, is 17 times. Way, way out of proportion to the other three Gospels. So you had to prove, if you were a Jew, that you came of the lineage of David, and you had to prove that you came from the lineage of Abraham. And the, the genealogy, there are two genealogies in the Gospels, one being Matthew and one being Luke. And in Matthew, the genealogy starts with Abraham, not Adam like Luke. And Abraham is considered the father of every Jew. So you have to trace your lineage. We do. We trace our lineage. We trace the promise of Antioch to the promise to Abraham, who is our father. So it, it, it goes from Abraham forward all the way to Jesus Christ. And then the book of Luke is opposite. It goes backwards. And the book of Luke was written by the great, you want to say he was a great physician. Hopefully he was, but he was a physician. And the, the, um, the picture on Luke would be the picture of the man. So when I talk about man, I'm talking about human compassion. We know, all know what the passion of Christ is. It's only used one time in the Bible in the book of Acts. So when you say compassion, you're talking about having passion, compassion on your, on your brother. And the book of Luke in particular, it is the only gospel that has the parable of the Good Samaritan. Check it. Check me out on this. All you Bible experts, Brother Schoenthal, check me out on that. It's the only one. It's the only of the four Gospels that directly references Isaiah 61, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the brokenhearted, to bring deliverance to the captive, to set free those that are in bondage. It is Jesus Christ directly quotes out of Isaiah 61 in Luke 4.18. So what I'm saying is the book of Luke especially focuses on the humanity. And in our church... And I think most of you know this. In, in our church, our attempt to, to, we have the most phenomenal preachers you can have. Pastor Joel Wright, Pastor David Wright, Bishop Wright. And one of the things that we are most concerned about is that we have good care groups. Because, you know, you cannot, it's very difficult for you to find time to share, and I, I don't mean this badly, but to share with Pastor Joel or Pastor Wright. It's just not going to happen. So one of the things that we understand is there is a missing element, a human element of compassion and understanding, and if you want to say the word, empathy, of understanding human frailty and, and, and weakness. And in the book of Luke, particularly focuses 
on the humanity of Jesus Christ and traces the lineage all the way back to Adam. And then the book of Mark is completely different. It is the shortest of the Gospels. And it starts not with a genealogy. Now you say ox. Well, and, and, and some of you know this from my class. An ox has no pedigree. Brother, Brother Schoenthal is um, a horse trainer and horse racer. Kingdom stock, you call it? Kingdom what? Kingdom blood stock. Okay, so in the horse racing business, and you can correct me afterwards, in the horse racing business, right, it, it is a big deal to trace the bloodlines of the, of the um, what do they call, triple crown winners, uh, Seattle Slough, that's a long time ago. But, but all of those, those horses, if you can trace the proper pedigree of that horse, it's worth thousands, if not millions of dollars to breed that horse to produce another bloodstock champion, right? Well, oxes, there is absolutely no pedigree. They don't care. All they want to do is work that ox, and they will work him and work him and work him, and then they will execute him, and they will, he will be dinner. He will be the beef. Um, Brother, Brother McGurk was telling me that uh, uh, for Father's Day, they got their, their dad an uh, uh, outback tomahawk, I think he called it, or something like that. It was a 35-ounce T-bone, and they said it was literally walking out, and the bone was sticking out, and their dog went crazy with this bone. But that's, that's, literally, that's literally what an ox does. And in the book of Mark, it is a very compressed book, and it begins in, in, with his baptism, and it ends quickly. And all it is is just work, work, work. Now, I know maybe you have never heard this before, but some of you probably have. In the ministry, especially in the ministry, even on the mission field, I have heard, heard this, and I have prayed for, and, and hopefully I would never have that attitude, but I have heard this several times. You know, they used me and used me and used me and worked me and worked me and worked me, and now they're just done with me. Well, there was a man named Apostle Paul, and he did go on three missionary journeys, and they worked him and worked, the Lord worked him and worked him and worked him, and then his reward at the end, and I, I'm, please, I'm not volunteering for this. I mean, if it happens, it happens, was to be beheaded at the hands of the Roman uh, legions or Roman, Roman guards. That was... That was the end of his life. I mean, it's sort of similar to what happens to an ox. They work him and work him and work him, and then they execute him. And then he's dinner. And so in the book of Mark, un- I say unbelievably, unbelievably or believably, the word immediate is used 39 times. And what I'm saying is it's very fast-paced. It's boom, 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 boom. It's work, work, work. So if I could say it, there is an element within the church, and, and, and rightly so. Work. Be like that ox. Plow that. One of Bishop Wright's favorite verses he uses on me all the time. I, I'm, I wish I could kid you, but this is not kidding. He quotes to me Proverbs 14.4. And if you don't know what that verse says, it says, By the strength of the ox, um, what the work of the Lord's accomplished. And it basically says this. I'm paraphrasing my version of this. And the ox will produce a lot of excrement and mess but it's okay because the more it works, the more it will produce mess. And so he always reminds you, your job is sometimes to, to, to do Proverbs 14.4 and deal with that. I'm like, well, thank you very much that you deal with all of this excrement. And I, 
I mean, it's, it's sort of true. I'm just saying. Okay, I'm just saying. We're, we're people here. So the reality is the reality. I mean, if you have kids, you understand that. If your kid is not producing a mess, there's a problem. That's not good. Who's, who's about ready to have a brother Vogler, about ready to have number three? Well, if number three, he should produce a mess, and you should be happy with that. If he's not, something's wrong. And so your duty will be, first couple years, the messer, cleaner, upper. And anyways, that's just a little side point here. But So what I'm saying is, so we understand that God, one aspect of God that we are called to be is in Matthew, the reigning monarch, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the master. One element in the book of Mark is to be that ox, to be that work. And, you know, we got that down. So I'm going to focus tonight a little bit on the other aspects. We, we got that down. The suffering servant part, we got down, I think. Or, you know, and if there's been a criticism of the church, and I don't mean just Antioch, I mean the church, is it's basically stand up and be a man of God. Be who you're supposed to be in God. Don't just live in survival, live in revival. I will tell this story really quickly. About, a, not even a year ago, I, my lease was up, and I have a budget on what I can do. And I went down to the Honda, deal, uh, Honda dealership in Annapolis, and I was trying to get me a Honda CRV, and it was over my budget. And so me and the, the Honda dealer went back and forth. I'm like, no, I offer this. And then they just got rude with me. And I'm like, it's okay, it's okay, no problem. And I just we'll say our goodbyes, and you just keep your Honda. And thank God they did. Thank God. Sister Bailey and Brother Bailey know this story, and maybe you've heard parts of it. But I was just like, oh, God, I just want a car to drive. I don't care what it is. And um, so just, you know, I was just frustrated. And, you know, bishop rights can be difficult to deal with. I'm just saying. It's like, no, go back. Get a better deal. Don't drive just a Honda, whatever it was, CRV. Drive something nicer. So on, a, on just a thought, I'm just praying, oh, God, I got to, you know, I can get things by a sister, right? I'm just saying. Brother Wright, it's, it's, you know, if he's not paying attention, if he's in Russia, I can probably get away with it. So I was just going to come back with a Chevy Malibu. Seriously, that was my budget. It's like, that's fine. That's all. I really don't care. And then on, on a whim, I called this guy that Brother Wright knew. And, um, and uh, I said, well, look, this is what I can spend. I said, um, well, he goes, what kind of car do you want? And I said, I want the best car for the least amount of money. So he called me back literally like an hour later. He says, I got a Mercedes. And um, it's fully loaded. It's a year old. It's coming off. It's a demo car. It's got everything you could want on it. And it's in wherever it was, Tennessee. And he, and, uh, he said, they will meet, they will, can I bid on your price? And I'm like, yeah. And it was in the middle of January, and they had to get rid of it like that week because you can't lease a, apparently a used car. And it was still a new car. It just was demo. It had 10,000 miles on it. I mean, yeah, sure, go ahead. Try. Shoot for the stars. He bid on it, and he calls me back, I got it. I'm like, you got a, a Mercedes at that price? And, and, and so now everywhere I drive, they're like, so I'm like, look, look, you, I said, this is the cheapest car I've ever owned. They're like, yeah, right. I, 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 I'm serious, I'm not lying to you. It is a phenomenal car. It, it is the cheapest car I have ever owned. I'm, I mean, I impressed Brother Wright. He's like, good Lord. He, go, he didn't say it like that. He's like, you got a, you got that price? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I beat you. And uh, so I'm just saying, if, if you are jealous of me, 
pray. <laughs> Ask the Lord for a Mercedes. I got a Mercedes, and it, it literally is the cheapest lease I have ever owned. It, it's probably the cheapest lease on this parking lot. You would not know, believe it. I can tell you after service if you want to ask me how much I got it for. But what I'm, what I'm saying is we can settle for second best. We can settle for just being the servant, just being the ox. That you just got to grind away and work away. But the, there is an element that I believe that we as a church are missing. And, 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 you know, we can live in survival, but we're supposed to live in revival. We're supposed to not just, not just live on the, the miracle of the Red Sea, which was Moses' miracle. We're supposed to partake of the miracle which they all partook of. It was Moses that said, let these waters be parted. It was the entire nation of Judah that said, bring these walls down. And they entered into something they did not do. The Bible says they possessed farms they did not plant. They possessed things that they did not work at. And what I am saying tonight to you, to me, is that the church underestimates herself. Yeah, there is the element of the ox. There is the element of work. To say that it would be a lie. To say that he didn't suffer a horrible death on the cross. But without the resurrection, without the the crown of glory, without him being the reigning monarch and the king of kings, it would be worth nothing. He would have been a failure. So there is the element of understanding our rightful place in God as king of kings, lord of lords. There is the element of understanding there is hard work. There is... Put your head to the grind of to the millstone and, and, and grind it out and, and work hard. There is the element of human relationship. I mean, one of the things oftentimes criticized by others, and I don't mean from you, but I just mean in general. Well, you know, they're so lofty in the pulpit, they can't relate to humanity and all that kind of stuff. And now that I'm driving a Mercedes, so I, I drove into, a, a, I mean, I don't mean this in a bad way, in a very low-income area and... Um, like, they're like, what is a Chinese guy driving a white Mercedes doing in there? And so the police were, like, all looking at me. And I'm like, look, I'm legit. I'm legit. I got a Bible study chart. Well, I, don't, I don't mean that negatively. I'm just simply, I'm simply saying that there, there is other elements. There is the human element, the care group part, the being able to relate. If you can't relate to somebody, if, if they don't believe that you can feel and I don't, I don't necessarily like him, but as Bill Clinton said, if you can feel their pain, they don't, if they think you're totally out of touch, you can forget it. They're not going to come to church because you're so high and mighty. I don't mean you are, but we are so high and mighty and we're so this and that. You can't even relate to the problems of life, to the issues of pain, to the, the frailty of human flesh and how much we fail. And in the book of Luke, there is an emphasis on how much Jesus Christ how he did things that were very human-like. In other words, you have, we have to have the understanding, fully man and fully God. Hebrews 4.16 that I just quoted to you, that with boldness, and the word bold, it's the, it is the Greek word for rhema. It is the verb form, reo. In other words, with boldness, activate the word of God in your life by touching the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace. Activate the promise of God. And this is a little digression, but th- uh, Tuesday night, it'll, it'll be, it'll be live streamed and we'll offer it here, but you need to watch that message. I, I know it went till 1015, 
But one of the most profound statements I think I have ever heard, and maybe he said it here before, is, is David, as you know, when he was out to bring cheese to his brothers, and they were mocking him like, you arrogant little whatever you are. You just want to see the fight. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. And then he makes the statement, is there not? Is there not a cause? And the word cause, and when you take it down to its most basic form, means is there not a promise of God? Is there not a promise in every one of our lives? If you have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have been filled with His Spirit, then you have a promise in your life. This church has promises of God. All that we do, all of our congregations, all of our facilities, all of our, 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 our senior elders, all of that has to do with one purpose, that God is going to fulfill a promise that, that those in Anne Arundel County, in Baltimore, on the, on the eastern shore, would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many would be touched by His Spirit and filled with His Spirit. But if you have that, you, maybe, maybe you can't articulate that promise, but you have a promise. You have a cause. And um, as I was praying about this, the, the Lord brought back a, a thought Brother Wright preached years ago. And he preached this thought, and you've heard it before, that people will oftentimes give uh, for a need. If, if uh, we had a need here, if, if there's someone's house burnt down, someone in the church, we, would take, we could take an offering and you would give. Our church always has really come through. And whenever we have presented needs to you, they have always come through. But he made the statement, people will give for a need, but they will sacrifice for a cause. In other words, the level of what Antioch is all about is not just giving for a need. We are not a need-based church. Now, I say that. Trust me on this one. I get many calls. Ask Sister Mother Alice Wright. I get many calls all the time about help. And I'm not saying we have ever not given food to somebody if they need that. Not necessarily money, not necessarily drug money, but, you know. So we, 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 we do want to help. But what I'm saying is we are not a need-based church. We are a cause-based church. And, 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 and we don't necessarily work I'm not saying it's wrong at all. In my, in my car, when I go to Baltimore, and I'm in Baltimore preaching this Sunday morning, I go there a lot to our facility at 212. I, I will say this. I have never driven in Baltimore when somebody has not come up to my, my Mercedes and asked for help. And I do not want to give them money. So I, I, I have in my car, I don't know who did them up. I think it was Sister Murphy or uh, Sister, somebody did up these, uh, Sister Stewart. Brother Stewart, where are you? Somewhere here, you're in here. And Sister Stewart, you're in here. Well, Sister Stewart and, and others made up these homeless bags. So I always carry a bag of whatever it is, a granola bars, toothbrush, comb, soap, all that kind of thing. So I'll, I will give them that. So I'm not simply, I'm not saying to be harsh on needs. So please don't get me wrong on that. But I am saying at the very center of who and what we are, we are not a need-based church. We are a cause-based church. In other words, there is a cause, and that's called heaven or hell. That's called hell is eternal. If you, and I, I believe it will be made public, the leadership meeting on Saturday, last Saturday, it seems like it was ages ago, was, was about that thought, that there are many people that will never 
experience heaven. And the alternative, there is no in-between place. There is no uh, purgatory. There is no in-between. There is no DMZ. There is, there is no middle ground. There is either hell or heaven. Either very bad or very good. And, and so, if I could say that, that is ex- absolutely what our cause is here. So, you know, what good does it do? And I don't mean this, and I don't mean that we won't. But if we help somebody with a lunch, when we, we do, and we will. I, I was, and I'll, I will be quick because I promise you we would not go long tonight. I was in Pakistan, and I was with Brother Sham, the superintendent, and our service was shut down because of the riots. They were rioting outside of where we were preaching at. And I was doing a service there Sunday morning, and they said, no, you can't do that. They're going to riot. So we were driving along, and this young eight-year-old girl, I think she was about eight, she was missing part of her arm, came over to beg at our vehicle, at our truck. And I pulled out a $5 bill to give to her $5. And Brother Sham says, don't do that. Do not do that. And in my spirit, I thought, you have been on the mission field way too long. This girl, I mean, come on now. It's five bucks. This girl is starving to death and a horrible life and average wage in Pakistan is $2 an hour. It's like, what is wrong with you? And he goes, he goes, look, Mike, this is what he says to me. If you give her that money, that $5 will go to the beggar mafia. Don't do it. She will never see a dime of that. She will be dead in two years. And I'm like, well, what's the beggar mafia? And he goes, they take kids and they, they purposely maim them because they beg, they get more money for begging. And I'm like, are you serious? He goes, yeah, I'm serious. He goes, don't do it. You're supporting the mafia. If you do that, I'm like, okay, okay. I'm like, well, and this is, I shouldn't have asked this question, but I was totally serious. I'm like, well, what can I do? And he, this is what he said with a straight face. He goes, you can preach the gospel. She, she does not have a good life here. Doesn't matter how much money you have. You could not help the orphans in Pakistan with giving all your money away. They will face an eternity. And he goes, you need to preach the gospel. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I don't know why I got off on that digression, digression but I'm talking about the book of Luke and, and relating and, and how our cause, our bigger cause, when we get, when we get miffed with this life and the, the difficulties of this life, when we, get, when, we, when, we, when we start complaining about the frailties, we need to think about that and, and the eternal destination of our friends and our neighbors and our family. And, and I won't say who, but the, the, we prayed for several up here. And I understand I do understand. I won't call their names out. I understand your parents are not saved. I under, I, I'm telling you, I do understand that. It is a horrible thought. It is a horrible thought. And I'm not trying to be harsh on any either of you. You don't know who I'm talking to, hopefully. And I, I, but I do understand the urgency in your spirit. Because you want to see your parents and your loved ones get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And there is nothing wrong Obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. But we are a cause-based church, and that is our cause. Everything we do is for those reasons. Everything we do. And lastly, and, and I, I, will, I will cover this one, is the book of John. And, you know, I, I know I did 30 slides, and I know I didn't do all 30 slides.
Okay, we'll just stop here for, for a second. So the last one, the book of John, being representative of the eagle. Now, if you gave me time tonight, and I won't necessarily take it tonight, I can prove to you how it matches up exactly. And so, and so what I'm saying is that portrait of what God gave us, those four images of the, the ox, of the, the human face, the king of kings, the Lord of glory, the king of the Jews. The, the Bible uses the word fulfilled. This is amazing. amazing thing. I didn't see this till, till yesterday. In the book of Matthew, Sister Diane, Sister McGurk, being of Jewish descent, he uses the word fulfilled 82 times. 82 times. The other four, three Gospels don't even come close. In other words, it's saying the fulfillment of the, the King of the Jews, of the Messiah, is Jesus Christ. 82 times, he says, he fulfills that office of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, of, of being the, the offspring of the, the great King of Judah, the root of David. And then lastly, we see in, in the book of John. The book of John is completely different. And I told you, and I won't be a liar tonight, that we won't go along. But the book of John is completely different than the other three Gospels. It does not have any genealogy. It basically says, in the beginning, matches up with Genesis chapter 1. And the book of John is the mini Bible of the New Testament. And so it basically says, we come from God. We don't, it doesn't trace anything back to Adam or Abraham. It just says, in the beginning... And the book of John is the only book of the Bible that has no parables. Brother Phil, you can check me out on that. I I was surprised. I'm like, oh my goodness. Are you serious? I'm talking to God. No parables? And the the Bible, and, and you've heard the bishop say this many times, is not written as an apology. In other words, what I'm saying is God never attempts to explain himself and justify himself. I may try to do that at times when people say, oh, science disproves God. I, I actually will go into some of the science with anybody that wants to. We'll talk about that. And I'll say, look, science verifies it, and I can show you, and I can prove it to you. I, I won't do that tonight. But what I'm saying, in the book of John, it just declares. And God never tries to defend himself or write apologetics or, say, or, or, or explain anything. So there are no parables in the book of John. And the book of John, of all of the, the four Gospels, it is the only one, it is the only book of the Bible that has the miracle at the wedding feast. The very first miracle Jesus ever did is only listed in the book of John, in John chapter 2, verse 7. And I will say this to you tonight. It is amazingly, and I shouldn't say amazingly because it shouldn't be so amazing, but it was amazing to me, that that miracle occurred exactly on the seventh day. You can count out on, from John 1.1, 1, 1, and it says, on the next day, Jesus did this. On the next day, he did this. On the next day, and guess what day is the seventh day? The wedding feast at Cana, where he turns water into wine. And I'm uh, just saying to, to you, this water was not this kind of water. This water was the kind of water, and I, I know we don't like it, and I don't necessarily like it necessarily, but it's the water that they wash their feet in. So it would be like, now I, I, I guess I would wash your feet, most of you, if the Lord told me to. I would have to really pray about that, especially Jonathan. But, um, sorry, John. But 
that, that was literally the water. So it would be like me being at a place and, and you putting your feet in dirty water and me taking that water and pouring it into a glass and say, here, drink that. You're like, you're out of your mind. I'm not touching that stuff. That's disgusting. That's what he did. And when you really understand what he, the implication there on the seventh day, he's basically take. we are 90%, 90, I've heard 95%, 90% water, and 10% or 5% dust. So in other words, if you want to say we are basically dirty water, and, and the Bible simply says that on that next day, that we will be transformed. The Bible says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other, and what I'm saying to you, what I'm preaching tonight, what I'm teaching tonight, there is a renewal of the mind. There's an understanding that we're not just an ox. We're not just the suffering servant. We're not just a human that does a good care group. We are as well a reigning monarch. But going back to, to, that, to that, so on the seventh day, on the seventh day, he turns water into wine. On the seventh day, we will all be turned from water into wine. And, 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 and I won't take it tonight, but I can prove to you definitively. I say that with almost arrogance and confidence, but I can prove to you that the, the next event on the calendar for the church will be a great revival and then will be the catching away of the bride of Christ in the rapture where we will see God in his glory. Now, you understand the difficulty that we have? I understand the difficulty because we've never seen that yet. We have seen the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant, the, the man nailed to the cross. We get that. Now, we, the other part hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. And I believe in our lifetime, I believe that, that, that I can show you scripturally that, that that event is about to take place. And at that event, that goes from, from the, the and, I, and I won't do it tonight, I keep saying that, but from the sixth day into the seventh day. So I'll say this to you, by the rapture or by the resurrection, you will be turned from water into wine, into something of great value. Either one of those, if you happen to pass before the rapture, which I'm praying that all of us will go in that rapture. But by rapture or by resurrection, you will be turned from water into wine. And that fourth animal, that fourth figure. Okay, now understand this. I'm telling you, 65,000 words in the Bible go into this subject. And to me, it is the most underpreached subject I have ever not understood. But that fourth beast in Revelations on the the camp of Israel is is the eagle. And and the Bible says, and you know the famous verse, they that wait upon the Lord, and I don't... You know, I don't mean that mockingly. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Some of the, the young guys here, sorry to embarrass you, Jonathan. Jonathan and Jonah, they, they're lifting weights. and I shouldn't tell this, but they measure their biceps sometimes. They, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, John. I, Nathan, you, I, hopefully you're not doing that. But, but, but anyways, so what I'm saying is the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And the eagle is a, is a very different bird. It is the king of the air. So if you want to say it that way, the king of the jungle is the lion, the king of the air is the eagle. And you notice the pattern here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Notice, starts out really great. Lion, king, the reigning monarch, it ends with the eagle, the king of the air. But in between is the ox, 
and the human in between that. And there is a pattern of God. There is a promise, a pit, a prison. I can go into it in a lot more detail, but I won't tonight. It sort of shows what God's pattern is. And that last, that last representation of the eagle. The eagle has, has one thing that I did not know it had. And I guess it's sort of obvious now. It has a, a double lens. Now, when I, was, when I was at the Naval Academy, we did fly uh, Cessnas, and we would go up into, into, the, into the sky. And um, I, did, I chose not to go in the, in the air, uh, Navy air just because I would throw up in the air, so I didn't want that. I'm standing on the ground, and I'm getting beat up by the Marine Corps. But uh, in, in the air, you would have to, we were going at, at fast speeds, and the wind was coming. You had to wear goggles. You had to wear, because your eyes would, would literally, uh, they could not take that. And, and the eagle, as fast as it can fly, has a one set of eyes that can that work naturally. You, you ever hear the phrase, if you hang with the turkeys, you'll never soar with the eagles? Well, turkeys are literally almost blind. They don't travel very far. They can hardly fly if they can't fly at all. But the eagle has two sets of eyes. In other words, there is a layer that when it is, it is ascending and it is going at great speeds of rate, at, at, uh, very, very fast, that, that, that second lens enables it to, to not go blind and have the, the, the air or, the, or whatever coming at it destroy that eye. So it has a, a second sight. And what I'm saying to you tonight is, scripturally speaking, there is a second sight. If all you have is the view of the ox, it's not a very pretty view. Round and round and round. And I know, I know churches like that. I know people like that. I know, unfortunately, people in our church, unfortunately, at times in my own life, it's been like that. Round and round. And that is a part of being in the church and working for God. But there is a, a second sight. There is a, an overall vision. When I was in the Marine Corps, before, GP, before there was GPS, one of the things that we would do, we would, uh, we would traverse the woods of Camp Lejeune and uh, Quantico, and uh, you, you couldn't see a whole lot. So uh, I would get photo reconnaissance so I could see the big picture. And, and in, in combat, which I never was in combat, but in, in combat, that is exactly what you want to see. You cannot survive militarily without understanding what the big picture is. And I'll say this to you. You cannot, you cannot survive in the church if all you see is the daily mundane of today and the problems of today. Now, you know, as I get older, good Lord, I go to the doctor a lot, you know. I mean, I had, what, four surgeries? I mean, you don't know this, but four surgeries in the last three years and all sorts of stuff, and everything's sort of failing. And, and I was like, God, this getting old stuff stinks. And, and uh, truth of the matter is that we begin to, you know, fall apart as we get older. But the Bible says that he shall renew our strength. And if that is your mindset, the daily onslaught of life, you will never be able to survive without knowing the big picture of what God is doing. It, was it two, three weeks ago? That horrible death on Richie, on, uh, right here on, on Route 50 where the, the lady was traveling and uh, she ran the wrong way and the, the poor individual from Cape St. Clair, the man, had to have his legs amputated and he died anyways. Well, I was in that traffic and I was irritated to all get out. And I was like, what is wrong? 
why don't they just hurry up? And you know what? When I, under, when I heard the whole, when I saw the big picture, when I finally got on my GPS and I saw what was happening, and I had a little more compassion that they were flying in a surgical team from university, from shock trauma, to amputate his legs, to try to get him out of the car to save his life. I had a little bit more compassion, and I wasn't so much in a rush, because I had to go do a Bible study, and I was late, and I was stuck in traffic for hours, and I was irritated, and yet all I could see was right in front of me. And what I'm saying tonight is that that's all you can see if you don't have spiritual eyes, if you don't see as God sees. The Bible, the Bible says this, and I said I won't go long, but it says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he hath wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, all and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things. In other words, the Bible says there is a new eyesight, a new understanding. Years ago, uh, I can't remember, even remember when, in the 90s, I got laser vision correction. My eyes were bad. I had 20... 20 going to the Naval Academy, and they just went bad. I think, I don't know what from, maybe studying, I don't know. But they went bad. And, uh, and they came up with laser vision correction in the 90s. And uh, I hated contact lenses, and I hate wearing glasses, and I went for it. And they, they, they cut out a portion of my eye, whatever you call that, that top layer. And for many years, I had 20-15 vision. I don't anymore... Um, I shouldn't admit this to you. I should probably be like the pastor and be wearing glasses in the pulpit, but I refuse to do that. So I, have, I put everything in big type. But what, what I'm saying is so often that's what we need, laser vision correction. We need to see clearly. We need to understand the eyes being enlightened. There is a, an eagle's perch, an eagle's point of view that no other bird of prey has. The eagle is a unique animal. It, it is one of the few animals that only mates, mates for life. Very, very unusual. And it, it, it nests in high places. And it has the ability to see miles. And, and so often we have, to, we have to come to church to be able to see the bigger picture. Here it is, Thursday night. You're here. And everybody that made it to Imesville drove a long ways to make it to church. You don't have to be here tonight. I mean, I guess they'll register you on, on Fellowship One, but, you know, it's a good excuse not to be in church tonight. Uh, everybody's up at CLC. They'll never know. You're here tonight. And what I'm saying to you is there is a blessing and a benefit to that because there is an ability that the Word gives us to see things as they ought to be seen from God's perspective, from an eternal perspective. The Bible says Moses forsook pleasures for a season, for an eternal outlook. In other words, he understood. I don't want to be, I don't want to be associated with the Egyptians. I will take my lot with the slaves, with the Jewish slaves. And he forsook the, the power and the privilege and the luxury of Egypt, the, the temptations for a season, because he was not short-sighted. 
Because he had a, a, a bigger picture. He was the only man that God ever conducted his funeral. And the Bible says God, of nobody else, God, the Bible says God buried Moses on Mount Nebo. Nobody else got that privilege. Nobody else saw the backside of God other than Moses. And, the, and God honored him because he had the ability by which to see, not just see that he could have had the, the, the most beautiful wives and the, the greatest luxuries and the greatest education in all of Egypt. He forsook pleasure for a season because he had the greater outlook. And in the book of John, we, we see there are more verses on the oneness of God, the deity of Jesus Christ in the book of John than any of the other four Gospels. I, 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 I teach out of Bernard, Brother Bernard's books. I love his teaching. I, I, and his books, if you were able to go back and look at all of his writing, he, and when he particularly writes the oneness of God, it is more quoted out of the book of John and the deity of Jesus Christ than probably any of the other three, four, three Gospels in the book of John. So what I'm saying is we have to have that ability to understand that we are a, a lion, a roaring, uh, reigning monarch. You know, I, I, don't, I really don't mean this bad. I mean it sort of funny. Sister um, Leningkamp, um, Sister Rita Leningkamp, uh, I know there are several Sister Leningkamps back there. One of the most powerful prayer words is your son Stephen. And when, when he gets up there, I mean, literally, it, it sounds like a lion. I, I, you know, I was in my office, and I just, I just heard this commotion in the prayer room. I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on in there? And he was praying with, uh, I don't know who it was, some other guys. And I, it was like a roar. Like, I mean, like the building shook. And I'm like, what is going on in there? And I look, and it's Stephen praying. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I get it. It's good. And, you know, our number one, I don't say our number one thing here, but we do the call to war. And it is, the, and, and basically, if, if I was to put it down into one word, we take authority over what is rightfully belongs to God. And, and all of that, someone said to me, well, isn't just spiritual warfare speaking loud? And I'm like, it may be speaking loud, but no, it's not just speaking loud. So we understand that is our rightful place at, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, I was, I was in Africa several, several, many years ago, back in the 90s. And um, one of the things that happened to us, and I can tell Hell's story because he's not here to defend himself. We were in an open-air jeep in the safari, and everybody wanted to see a lion, and nobody saw a lion. And so it's getting dark out, and all of a sudden, this is literally what happened. We drove into a den of lions. It was all these female lions and all their eyes were staring at us. And um, it was an open air jeep and, and I was sitting up front next to the tour guide or whatever he was. And as the, as the lions, uh, as, as we drove farther into the father lion, the, the head of the pride, huge, huge animal and had a huge mane, he began to roar and literally the ground shook. And that's no exaggeration. And I was up front, and I wasn't that scared. And the reason why I wasn't, because I figured my tour guide had a, had a gun to take care of this. I mean, it's like, okay, big deal. So what? And he's literally as far as I am to Brother Murphy, maybe even closer than that. I mean, and this is the open-air Jeep, and this, this thing is coming right by our Jeep, and he is broadcasting. And what he is doing is he is saying, this is my territory, 
and don't violate it and don't come here. And he was broadcasting very loudly. Now, Brother Middleton and the others were on the floor of the Jeep, scared. I was very confident and I was sure that I was okay. And so, so later on, uh, you know, I'm saying, well, can I see your gun? And he says, uh, we, I don't have a gun. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't have a gun? It's like, what, what, you know, all this time I thought I was okay because there was a, the, the, the safari guide had a gun. And this is an open-air Jeep, and he was no more than five, this lion that's broadcasting his authority. Now, I say that because that is probably the one area of our lives where we do not take authority. You know, one of the, and, I, and I, I shouldn't say this, but I'll say this because he's not here tonight. One of, obviously, and you know this, one of the young people in our church that has uh, most advanced has been mother, brother, mother, brother uh, Mike McGurk, Jr. And just, I'm just telling you, he's, he's very talented, naturally. But I will tell you what, I don't know of anybody that gets in that prayer room and prays the way that he does and takes authority over things that he does. Now, he is not here to defend himself, and I'm glad he doesn't hear that. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't necessarily want him to, whatever, get a big head. But I am saying there is a reason why God has used him in those areas, because the man knows how to take authority and broadcast who is in control. And, and God has established works that we have never had established in College Park, at University, uh, at UMBC, at Morgan State, at other places. God is establishing things because we have taken the proper position of who and what we are. So we understand, and I'm not going long tonight. All right? We understand the authority that God has given us as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We understand that in the church world, we are, we do work. We are, we do serve. We understand that we do have to relate to individuals, the humanity of an individual. And lastly, and I won't say most importantly, but lastly, I will say, we have to have the sight of an eagle. We have to be able to attain to that spot. We have to be able to, to elevate ourselves. And, and I'll close with this tonight. The, uh, the key battle at Gettysburg, was over one ridge. Who's Civil War buffs in here? Looking for Kevin Trader. So hopefully, Kevin, either you're at Imesville or you're at home watching me, but Kevin is a, a Civil War buff, so he knows this. The key battle at Gettysburg, which was the key battle in the Civil War, and had the battle gone differently and General Lee had won that battle, we would be a different country today. That was the turning point. But there was one key place... It was called Cemetery Ridge, and it was the high ground at Gettysburg. And whoever possessed the high ground would win that battle. And the Confederates' forces had actually um, had the opportunity by which to take that ground. And General Ewell, if I pronounce that correctly, he was given an order by Lee, General Lee. General Lee says, take cemetery, take this hill, if practicable. The word they used was whatever old English they would say. If, if practical, take it. Well, he did not take it because he figured the deaths would be too high. And they lost that battle, and therefore they lost that war. And, and many historians debate over this. Had he not, had he been willing to take that? If General Lee had left off those last two words, take the hill, 
under any circumstance, if that means every one of you dies, take that hill. That it would have been a different outcome of the war, of the Battle of Gettysburg, and therefore a different outcome of the Civil War. And I say that simply because you've got to take the high ground. You've got to be able to take the high ground. You've got to be able to see things as God sees them and not as you see them. You don't see things always correctly. Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. The Bible says one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest in all of Israel, made a huge mistake because all he could see was the immediate future. He says, God, give me 15 more years. And God gave it to him. A bad prayer at a bad time. He should have just taken, taken his lot in life and gone to heaven. And he did not. And in those 15 years of life, he produced the most evil king of Judah that ever, ever, ever lived. And, and they plundered the nation of Israel because of Hezekiah's mistake. Because all he could see was, I want 15 years more of life. And I'll say this, and, and, I, and I, I mean this carefully. And I, you know, if it ever comes down to me, I don't know if I'd be singing this tune. But, you know, you don't know. We have people pass away. You don't know. You don't know what the reason was. Hezekiah should have died 15 years earlier. He never would have produced Manasseh. And the, and the, the, the ruling monarch of Israel would have been somebody different if he had just taken his lot in life and not seen the temporal. And God said to him, this is what's going to happen to you. He says, I don't care. I'll be dead. I'll be dead. Like, okay, that's really good. All you can see, see is just for you here and now and not there and then, and what is going to happen. So I'm saying to you, take the high ground. I mean, one of the things that I deal with a lot here, and I'm not saying it's a good thing, um, you know, you deal with just gossip and stuff, and, you know, person telling on person and slanting their side of the story, and it's just, I, I mean, I hate it. And I'm just saying this, and please don't get mad at me. You know, what I notice is in, in church, men have issues with anger and women have issues with gossip. I don't know why that's the case. I'm not saying either is better, but I am saying I do have to deal with that. Sometimes we need to take the high ground and ignore all that. In the, in the, in the Marine Corps, they call it scuttlebutt. All that, all that trash, all that stupid stuff. You need to take, not you, we need to take the high ground. We need to look to the Word of God and take that elevated position and see the overall big picture. If we just see tomorrow. If we just see, do what Hezekiah did, that's going to cause a lot of trouble and a lot of heartache. But when God gives us that big picture, that eternal picture, that eagle's point of view, that is when we understand. So I'm saying to you tonight, there is, in your life, there's four dimensions of a Christian that we all should have. That of the authority of a lion, the servant of Hood, the desire to serve, the diaconate of the ox, the relatability of a man, human compassion, the good Samaritan, and the ability to see that overall big picture as we know that that eagle can do. Those are all parts of our life. Now, I can tell you honestly, I did not understand that very well, and that gives me a different perspective that I play, have to play all four of those roles, and I have to see God as the king, as a suffering servant, as the human. And, and the preceding verse to Hebrews 4.16 is, and he was tempted in all points, just like you are. And he went through all these horrible things, and that's my paraphrase, and now 
you have with boldness the right to enter into the throne of grace. What is the, the reason? The reason is because you, you did everything I did. I, you know, I'm sorry this offends you. But, and I, I've never had cancer. Thank God and thank, hopefully I never will. But you can't tell me that I can relate to somebody that's been through cancer. And many of you have, unless you've been there. You know, there are things that I've been through that you can't relate to. That unless you're there, you just can't relate to it. And the Bible simply says this. He went through all of that. And that gives him the right. That gives not him the right. That gives you the right to the access to obtain mercy, mercy and grace. Because you've been tempted in all points. Because of your frailty. Because of your human weakness. So I close with that tonight. Um, I know you're not feeling well, so I'm just going to close in a word of prayer. Okay. Father, I thank you for the group that... Oh, you know, do we do offer? Do we do, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's pray. We'll pray. Lord, thank you for this group that came out. And I pray, Father, that you would help me and every person in here to understand and to partake of, your, of who you are, Lord, of your lordship, God, of your willingness to serve us, Lord, of being able to understand others and to see the big picture. I pray that you would give us a revelation that we could partake in this end-time revival and partake of you as the reigning king that would come back and, and bring us to heaven. And I pray your blessing and your protection on each of us tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed in the name of Jesus. If you would like my notes... I mean, I, I am the note guy. Everybody, everybody I talk to says they have a brother you file. And I'm like, someday, before the rapture, you'll read all my notes. So if you want them, you can have them, and I will be glad to give you proof of everything I preach tonight.